Well, we're in the Gospel of John, continuing through our series here. And the little subtitle to our Gospel of John series is In Awe of the Son, meaning the S-O-N, the Son of God. Last week we started to hear a little bit about the testimony of John the Baptist, and as we ended last week we said that we really want God to show us how to decrease. We need to decrease, and ultimately Jesus needs to increase. And many of us were moved by the fact that John was quite humble, and he knew what his... He knew who he was and he knew what his job was. It was to point to Christ, to be a voice crying to Christ. So this week we're actually going to go in a little more detail into the testimony of John and see if we can again learn this week from John the Baptist, or baptizer, depending on your perspective. So starting in verse 29, the next day, now remember this is just, we just ended in 28, these things took place in Bethany across from the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, where we're at today. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. Now realize we've been connecting all the different sermons to Jesus, but actually in the, in the text this is the first time his name comes. All it's been talking about, certainly if you're familiar with Scripture, you know that it's been talking about the Son who took on flesh, meaning Jesus, He's the Messiah, He's the Christ. But this is the first time we actually see Jesus' name. The next day He saw Jesus coming toward Him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want to stop here and spend some time because I think many of us have probably heard this, but I don't know if it's just become maybe a little too familiar to us. John's Gospel is the only one that uses the phrasing like this. The other Gospels, you know that there are four Gospels. What are they? Matthew? Good. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They have a lot of similarities because, again, they're like four different perspectives on Jesus' life. But this is the only one that uses this phrasing. John, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The first thing is the Lamb of God. Why a lamb? Like, we're just familiar with that because we've been around, but like, any animal? But here John's talking about a lamb. Now, of course, Jesus is identified as a lion. But here he's talking about a lamb. And the question is, what is... John saying, what is John the Baptist saying when he calls Jesus the Lamb of God? What is he actually trying to communicate when he says this? I think there's a couple things. The first, if you're familiar with the book of Exodus, if you're familiar with Exodus chapter 12, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And they needed to be released. It's time for them to go. So Moses is going and he's talking to Pharaoh and he's all these plagues. Have you guys heard of the plagues that, that happened to Egypt? You've heard of those? So these plagues are coming. And ultimately what happens is, it seems like Pharaoh starts to go, okay, I guess I'll let you go. And then what? His heart gets hardened and he changes his mind. He says, no, no, you're not going to go. And so finally, the Lord says, okay, I'm going to get my people free. I'm going to rescue my people. And he comes up with something that the Israelites are to do. It's called Passover. You ever heard of Passover? 
they take a lamb and they sacrifice it and they kill it. And then they, they take the blood and they're to put it over their doorpost. This sacrifice, because the plague that the Lord was going to bring, is He's going to bring one where the firstborn are going to die. But if you put the blood of the Lamb above your door, death will pass right over you. Right over you. But it's a sacrifice of a lamb. It seems that this is part, at least part of what John has in mind. When he's saying, Behold the Lamb of God! I think what he's saying is this is going to be a sacrifice reminding us of Passover and it's His blood that's going to allow death to pass over us because He's going to take the sins of the world. So he says, the Lamb of God. I think that's true. One of the verses that was read this morning in the beginning there was out of 1 Peter. First Peter 1. And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Whenever there's a bank robbery and they have the people inside, they have their captives, and they demand what normally? A ransom, right? They want a ransom. What's the ransom? A kidnapping's taken place, so they've taken a bank over. We want a ransom. They want money. They want material things. They want gold, right? Scripture's saying that that's perishable. And he's telling here in 1 Peter, he's telling each one of us, you have not been purchased with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, listen, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb. But why do we even have to, or why does Jesus even have to die? What's the point? As Brother Doug read in Hebrews chapter 9, I don't know if you caught it, but listen to verse 23 in particular. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And listen, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So, anyone who has an idea or theology or a mindset of, hey, I can get to heaven, I can work off and pay my sins, I can pay my debt. There better be blood involved. Why is blood so important? Well, as we know, it's the life source of who we are. So why would blood be required in God's system, if that's the lifeblood, and, that's, and it, us as humans who live have sinned against Him, then there needs to be some sort of sacrifice. So any religion, any ideology, anyone who says, oh no, if you're just a good person, Brother James, if you're a good person, the man upstairs will take care of you. There better be blood involved, because Scripture clearly says, if there's not bloodshed, 
you will not have the forgiveness of sins. So now the question is, well, what kind of blood? Is the blood that important? Well, we find out in other passages that God is really not interested really in the blood of animals. He uses it as a shadow, an example of things that were to come, like the lamb at Passover. But ultimately, animals... I mean, how how many of you, and I'm afraid to ask some of the wives this question, how many of you are willing to trade a family member for an animal? Is that a one-for-one trade? Right? You say, oh, oh, yeah, my, my son? Sure. I'll take a cat for my son. I wouldn't, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> right? There's something different about humans. Doesn't mean God didn't create animals. Animals aren't special. They're not friends. All those things. Yes, they're great. But there's something different. We're made in the image of God. So something that's going to die for us has to be in the image of God. So this bloodshed that takes place has to be human. Has to be human. And it has to be perfect. Remember what we read in Peter? Spotless, spotless without blemish. That's why, although we love Brother Phil Parker back there, he cannot be our sacrifice. He's good, but he's not perfect. Nobody is perfect except Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only one who can be the lamb. Last thing I want to say about the lamb, listen to this. You've got to hear this. Revelation chapter 5. So I think these are the things that are going on when John says this lamb of God. Listen to this. Chapter 5. If you're not familiar with Revelation, it's confusing. It's hard. But it's good. It's still the word of God. Listen to this. Listen to what John says. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. How many seals? Seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Listen. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll to look into it. Nobody. Listen to John's response. This is the same writer, John. Listen to what he says. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to even look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though he had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain 
And by your blood you ransomed a people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation and out of Cedar Key and out of Rosewood and out of Levy County out of Florida, the United States, Turkey, Mali, everyone. You ransomed them a people. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Do you hear that? You are a kingdom and priests to your God. And they shall reign on the earth. Look, then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. And our church says, Amen. Amen. So now go back to John. That was the introduction. Go back to John chapter 1. Now let's read this again. On the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb who was slain. That's His sacrifice. That sacrifice, as we also read, as Brother Doug was reading, was a sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed every day. Is that right? Is that how this works? He sacrificed every day? Let me hear it. No. No. Once for all. Because He's the perfect sacrifice. It's not something He has to keep doing. That's also why, as you know, when we have our crosses up here, we don't have Jesus on it because we don't believe that He's continually being sacrificed. Once, and guess what? He got off the cross. He went in the tomb. But three days later, He rose, and He's at the right hand of heaven. Okay, Right hand of God in heaven. Now what's interesting about this is, so if the sacrifice is done, what are we supposed to be doing? Are we supposed to still be sacrificing? Turn with me quickly to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. I need you to get this today. I need you to get this. Some of you are living your lives like you're trying to pay God back. Some of you are living your lives that Because He saved me, He's wiped away my sin, He's given me all these things, which is good. You're living your lives in such a way like you need to pay Him back. That's not what this is about. We don't need to continually make sacrifices to try to pay God back. We don't need to continually make sacrifices to try to appease Him. He loves you if you are in Christ Jesus because of the righteousness given to you. Here's what He desires. Listen, verses 16 and 17. This is the psalmist... David saying this to God, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it to you. Don't try to give God sacrifices the way that the Old Testament was trying to. And even in your lives today, don't try to give God sacrifices to get Him to love you or to appease Him. He loves you in Christ. Listen to what David says 
you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. God doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants your heart. He wants you to be humble and cry out to Him. What does it mean to be broken? It means you're humble. It means you know that you don't have it together and you need someone to fix you. Back over to John. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He wants your heart. Heather and I watched a movie one time. I want to share this with you. We watched a movie one time, and there was this couple, and they were hosting some people at the part at their house, and everyone leaves, and the husband sits down to play a video game. Oh, that was tiring. Sits back, going to play his video game. Well, the wife comes in, and she looks at the house, looks at the kitchen. It's a mess. Absolute mess. And she goes, hey, honey, let's go and clean up the kitchen real quick together. Let's just do the dishes real quick. How many of you wives here have ever asked your spouse, hey, let's just, just, just clean up real quick. Let's just do this together. Ever done that? Ask your husband to do something maybe? I'm tired. We just had these people over. Let me just sit down for 15, 20 minutes. Let me just re- relax a little bit, he says to her. She says, no, come on. I don't want to do that. Let's do it right now. He goes, you know what? Let's just get it tomorrow. Let's just get it tomorrow. I just really want to relax. She says, oh, no, come on. You know I hate waking up to a dirty kitchen. Anybody here hate waking up to a dirty kitchen? Okay. We were talking about this movie because we had basically had to pause it because we're like, wow, this is us sometimes. Okay, this is a while ago. So she gets upset. Fine, I'll go do it. She goes off. What's the guy do? Does he just kind of sit and keep playing? If she's upset and she walks storms off, <laughs> Mr. James knows, no, he ain't going to just sit there. Throws his controller. Fine, I'll come do the dishes with you. You know, she says, no you, no, you know what, never mind, I don't want you to. And he says, what? You just said you wanted me to do the dishes. Now, her response baffled me, and this is why Heather and I had to talk about it. She says, no, I don't just want you to do the dishes. I want you to want to do the dishes. I said, what? (laughs) Pause. What does that mean? I don't understand. She's saying, I want you to want to do the dishes. He's saying, I'm getting up to do the dishes. You're getting your way. But you don't want to do it. So now he's like, you're upset because I don't want to clean dishes. Do we see the disconnect here? Just missing it. The point is, God doesn't want your sacrifices. He doesn't want you to obey Him because you have to. He wants your heart, and then you're going to want to do the dishes with Him. You're going to want to serve Him. Does that make sense? Okay. Verse 30, This is of he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. You remember that we read this last week, and ultimately John was saying, even though John was older, Jesus was born after him. And so even though John is older, he understood who Jesus was and knew that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we've already covered that last week, so we'll move on to 31. John says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose 
I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, whether or not the, the commentators debate on, did John know his cousin Jesus? Remember, they're related and stuff. But ultimately, what's being said here is, John didn't know right away who the Messiah was. Whether or not he knew his cousin Jesus or not, I mean, small town, you think he would, but he's saying, I didn't know ultimately who the Messiah was at first. I had to wait for God to reveal it to me. Okay? And what he says is, 32, and John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. It's interesting, this gospel actually doesn't show us Jesus' baptism. It's talking about it. The other gospels actually talk, you know, show, you know, talk about the actual baptism itself and show us the event. This one doesn't. He's just saying, when the Messiah came, when the Son of God came, the way it was revealed to me is when he was baptized, because remember, John's baptizing people, and he's getting their hearts ready. What's interesting is John's baptizing people. He knew there was another baptism coming. He knew there was someone greater coming. He said that. He's baptizing not so that people are right with God. He's baptizing them to get their hearts ready to follow Christ. Okay? And so he baptizes Jesus, and this is how he knows it's the right, it's the right one. The Spirit of God comes on him, but it stays. Remember? Before this time into the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and go. That's why the psalmist is crying out, Don't remove your Spirit from me, God! Jesus is different. He's ushering in a new time. The Spirit comes and lands on Jesus and doesn't move. And John goes, Huh, the Messiah. There he is, the Son of God. That's how John knew. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptized you with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit stays on Jesus, and he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now, don't forget this. Baptism with water is extremely important, but it is nothing if you have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you have not been made new, if you do not have a new heart, a heart of flesh, if you are not born again, as we're going to see that language, then when you go in the water, you're getting washed. It's a bath. It's not a baptism. Water baptism shows what, you, what has happened on the inside. You're proclaiming to everybody, this has happened to me. I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. If you're here today and you've never had that, I pray that you would cry out today for salvation to the Lamb. Let's finish up. <clears throat> and I have seen, verse 34, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. That's how John ends this section. So what's the takeaway? I have three things for you today. I didn't emphasize it in the first part, but I'm going to now. The first thing you need to do is behold the Lamb of God. Notice it doesn't say take a peek at the Lamb. It doesn't say just kind of look at Him real quick and then get on with your day. The idea of beholding, gazing, staring at, looking deep into Behold the Lamb of God, first thing. Second thing, which we've already said, don't give God your sacrifices, give Him your heart. For those of you who've never given Him your heart for the first time, you can do that today. For those of you who have, guess what? It's a constant struggle to give Him our heart each day. And sometimes 
multiple times a day because the world is also saying, I want your heart. Satan's saying, I want your heart. We have to be intentional to give him our heart. The last thing, and it comes out of verse 31 there. Notice what it said. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing. John clearly knew his purpose. We talked a little bit about this with identity last week. Do you guys know what your purpose is on earth right now? It's certainly to point to Jesus, always. To give glory to God. To enjoy God. But specifically, John specifically knew what he was to do. Be a voice. Baptize the people of Israel to point them to Christ and baptize the Messiah. That's his role. What's your role? What's your purpose? The way you find out your purpose is you behold the Son. You behold the Lamb. You give God your heart and you ask Him and He will reveal to you what your purpose is. If you're still breathing, you have purpose. And I think He has great things for all of us in here. Let's pray together. You are worthy. You are mighty. You are holy. You are loving. You are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. You are just. You're the only one who can open the scroll. You're the only one that can baptize us with your Spirit. You're the only one worthy to be slain. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. Lord, I pray that as they behold you today, as they look at you, I pray that you would give them great joy and they would be in awe and they would be in love with who you are. And I pray, Lord, as they realize who you are and how much you've done for them, that they would not try to earn more of your love, but yet they would just give you their heart and humble themselves and say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I'm asking for you to show me my purpose. Overall and with each day, with each conversation, what's my purpose for going to this restaurant? What's my purpose for this, my job today? What's my purpose with, purpose with this person that just came in my store? What's my purpose as... A member of the church, how am I supposed to serve, Lord? Reveal these things to us. And Father, right now again, if there is anyone here who has never done these things for the first time, Lord, I pray, I pray that they would today behold You and cry out to You as the only One who can save them. We love You and we thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen.